Hello? Hey, how are you? Hey, I am doing great. Um, my wife and daughter just got back from India the other night, and they had stories upon stories upon stories. They had such a great experience, and I'm just thrilled that our church makes multiple trips out there uh, to to work with this orphanage, because I am quite certain that they want to go back again and uh, and likely will. So these are this is the start of long lasting relationships and ministry. It's cool. That's amazing. How exciting is that? Oh my gosh, it's just amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So how are you? I am doing quite well, though, for a far more pedestrian reason than that. Uh, I got two books from my favorite author this week. He's doing a thing this year. He wrote uh, a whole bunch of books a couple years ago, and he's putting them all out this year, one per quarter. And this particular week, I got the hard copy of quarter one's book because it was behind and I got the electronic copy of Quarter 2's book because, well, it's easy to get those out. So that is delightful. Yeah. Happy reading to you. Yes, I'm super excited. Uh, I'm super, super excited. The books are this sort of beautiful deluxe edition. And so they are just uh, stunning illustrations and gorgeous gorgeous binding and printing and the paper's nice and they put a lot of work into these that is awesome yeah that makes you just happy to sit down and read it just having the book in your hand makes you happy yes it is you know a good book is itself an art piece mm. uh, and they get this that that a good book is an art piece so i'm i'm really enjoying the work that was put into it, everything from the cover to the, like I said, the page layout to to the fonts chosen, everything. Just, it is a it is a beautiful work. That's so great. Uh, but I'm not calling to talk about beautiful fiction. We've done that already. Uh, I'm actually calling, hoping that I can continue my secondhand seminary education today. <laughs> All right. You know, I bugged you the other day about the rule of life project that you were doing. And since then, I've been wanting to ask you about kind of your top books from your seminary education. And so I wanted to just get from you the books that are sort of the highlight of your seminary experience. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Uh, largely, honestly, because you gave me a heads up a few weeks ago that you wanted to ask me this, that you wanted to make this into a podcast episode and that you didn't want my thoughts then. You wanted it on the podcast. And so you gave me an opportunity to go back through and kind of curate my list. And I appreciate the time to do that because, man, as I look back... It was hard to choose at times. I have probably far more books on my list than are going to make it onto this episode. And this was fascinating. I, th this was like a personal growth moment. I think because you you phrased this as, to me earlier, you phrased this as, I don't 
necessarily read all the right books on my own. I have to be told what to read sometimes. Because if I'm just left to my own devices or any human being is left to their own devices, they're going to read probably a narrow band of material. But you need kind of outside voices to influence you outside of your ruts. And Yes, this is exactly it for me. It's It's this idea that I am self-limiting in my reading based on my own filters. And I am always deeply mindful of this limitation. And it seems like this is a great way to get around that limitation without actually having to pay the extra money of going to school. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. So... It was fascinating to me to realize that seminary had actually done that for me because honestly, prior to cultivating this list, like even after going through seminary, I would have told you I'm not a theology guy. And here's why I say that, because I feel like you have to explain it because I know that at least my wife snickered when you said it, when she was listening to this. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm sure. Uh, Um. The reason I say that is because there's so many debates in theology. Like people who get a theology degree have a stigma in my mind. And so I apologize to all theology degreed people who are listening to this podcast. Um, There's a stigma in my mind that they love to just engage in debates. They love to tease apart non-essential things about Christianity or the Bible and make them into big deals and go off on wild tangents and speculation that has no bearing on anything. So that's my prejudiced mm. view against theology. But you can't go to seminary without reading theology books and taking theology mm-hmm. classes. And I was surprised as I like wrote down my list of all of my f- top books, and then I kind of put them into categories to try to organize my thoughts, by far... My largest category is theology. And that shocked me and kind of humbled me and maybe, you know, made me start thinking, okay, maybe I need to change my perspective of what theology is. Yeah, that makes total sense, right? Like we don't, maybe theology needs to mean deeply thoughtful and reflective about God's truth, but it tends to have the implication of nitpicky. Yeah. Oh, that's a good word. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. And I think you're right. I I think we, for whatever reason, are highly critical of something that really is just a deeply thoughtful, engaged in the conversation about truth as revealed in the Bible. Like, how could that not be a wonderful thing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. hundred percent. So, yeah. That's exactly what, as I stare at my list here, that's exactly what happens. So let me run through at least my theology section and just kind of a note to the listeners. If I blow through a couple of these really quickly, um, you don't have time to write them down in case that matters to you. We're going to put all of these books in the show notes, and we're also going to put all of these books up on social media, just in, in a list. So you, uh, and, and if you click on them in the show notes, uh, there will also be a link to the Amazon book. So you can read reviews, you can read an overview, 
you can buy the book, whatever it is. So anyway, um, those resources are available to you uh, if any of these books stand out to you. All right, here we go. Secondhand Seminary Education, take one. Uh, <laughs> All right, so as I review this list, it's pretty fascinating here. Okay, so listeners are going to be familiar with Being as Communion by John Zizioulis. That spawned a couple of, or at least one podcast episode. That was yeah. a really challenging read, probably one of the most difficult I read in seminary, but so, so good. Really emphasized who the Trinity is and how the Trinity works. It was it was excellent, as well, was... And so... Go ahead. I just want to pause there. Like, so are we saying that that's... Are these in in descending order of importance? Like, is that number one for your seminary experience overall? Is that what you're saying? Or are these in no particular order? Uh, more or less, these are in no particular order. These are in categorical order, um, mm. but not necessarily like my A number one. I don't know if I could even do that. I couldn't I couldn't point to sure. one book. But yeah, from in theology, being his communion was excellent, as was uh, Fred Sanders's The Deep Things of God. Those two books both really emphasized the uh, who the Trinity is and really opened my eyes to the Trinity, which was great. I don't think I remember you mentioning The Deep Things of God. Tell me a little bit more about that one. Yeah, you know, there's just, there's one line that sticks out from The Deep Things of God that I just loved. He consistently referred to God in God's space as the happy land of the Trinity. And I just oh. thought that was a very imaginative and whimsical view of mm. where God is. So the happy land of the Trinity is the number one line that sticks out from that. But it was really just, um, I, I actually read it pretty early on in my seminary, and I could probably reread it in order to give you a better idea of it. But that line sticks out and just, it was my initial framework for starting to understand the Trinity. And I really appreciated it. Well, and when as soon as you said that one line, the happy land of the Trinity, I immediately understood why this book was important to you because I've heard you quote that line a dozen times easily, and I just didn't remember which book it came from. So if I'm remembering correctly, I think that Sanders has a set of lectures on the Trinity that are available like on Audible and Hoopla and things like that that I'm interested to explore if that's the topic that has been deeply meaningful to you that he talks about, hearing him talk about it would be really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I even read another article of his on the Trinity uh, in another book and uh, found it to be great. So yeah, I would I would highly recommend those. That's awesome. All right, what's next? So continuing in the, the theology, like I just have to include this. I couldn't do this episode without mentioning Michael Bird. And he wrote Evangelical Theology, which is just like a big overview, systematic theology textbook. But I felt like it was one of the more accessible ones. And he just brings a lot of levity and humor. And I don't know, he takes this, the topic seriously, but he doesn't take himself seriously. 
And so uh, I just found it to actually be fun to read a systematic theology book. Who would have thought? Um, That's awesome. So, but going into like absolute, like I just loved it, just was blown away by it. Um, Conformed to the image of his son, which is subtitled Reconsidering Paul's Theology of Glory in Romans by Haley Gorenson Jacob. Again, a very, very difficult read. This was her doctoral thesis that she did under N.T. Wright, and it was phenomenal. And it really opened my eyes to what God means about, or what, what scripture means when it talks about God's glory or glory given to humanity or what have you. And that glory is connected with positional honor. Therefore, glory is is some form of exaltation, some form of, uh, yeah, positional honor. So that matters when we talk about humanity being glorified as a part of the salvation process. So she focuses um, on Romans 8 and this topic of glory, and it was phenomenal and really, really well done. That's Uh, awesome. Well, and this is such a fascinating idea to me. There are so many words that we use as Christians that I don't think we actually know what we mean. I am so grateful when somebody just takes one concept and one place in the Bible and digs into that concept to make sure we are thinking about the concept biblically. That's so valuable to me. It really is. And I I still fall into kind of those random, ill-defined visions of what glory is. Glory to me has light and angels singing and, you know, I I don't know, some, it's very intangible in my mind. And she brought it right Mm -hmm. back down to earth and said, wait a minute, no, 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 there's there's an actual definition, there's an actual referent here, and this is what is meant by this. And so, so helpful. Yeah, no, this is a great point. I think, you know, you mentioned light, and when we talk about glory, and I think we do this with a lot of different biblical topics, we try to define the topic by metaphor. And you can't define by metaphor. That doesn't work, <laughs> you know. Sure. If it if it's like something that isn't what it is, by definition, it's not that thing. <laughs> so the one thing we know about glory, right, is that it isn't light. Sure. Yeah, and yet you're absolutely right. When I think of glory, the best language I have ever been able to come up with for it for the biblically illiterate is either sort of the illumination of God or like God's fame, which then seems somewhat dry. Mm. I, I just, it's very hard to know what to say. And and I suspect it takes the entire book for her to come to a clear explanation of what she thinks and why she thinks it. And it takes a lot of linguistic analysis and contextual analysis and all of these things. She really, I mean, it's her doctoral thesis, right? She really did her homework. That's awesome. Uh, She is, and this is the kind of thing, I'll be honest, I am always looking for a cheat. I mentioned this with the Fred Sanders topic. 
you know, when you mentioned this book, the first thing I did was look and see if she'd written other books. She hasn't. So then I went to YouTube to see if I could find... Uh, I am not a giant fan of like just whoever's on YouTube. I need to just listen to them. That's not awesome. <laughs> but if there is somebody who is an authentic academic like this, sometimes you can find a lecture that they've given. And I found at least one lecture that she had given. And uh, I may not read this book at any time soon because it looks pretty heavy. But I am grateful to know her name because her name gives me a starting point for somebody worth listening to, if that uh, yeah. makes sense. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Good, good idea to search for that, because you're right. I worry about even recommending that book because it is so challenging. In fact, honestly, if you don't know biblical Greek, I don't know if you could get as much out of that book as you need to. So, yeah, I, I think that's yeah. awesome to find another resource, another way to get that information. Yeah, there's a 58-minute video podcast kind of thing titled Romans 8, 18 to 39 with Haley Jacob. Oh, uh, I, boom. That's perfect. That's it. There yeah. you go. There you go. Do that. Right. <laughs> right. This is the welcome to the lazy man's guide to being a smart person. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but it's not lazy. It's this is. One of the things, and one of the reasons I, I love this information, I hope this isn't too much of a tangent, but we exist to be theologically informed, not as individuals, but as a church. And that means it's okay for Haley Jacob to understand the concept of glory better than me, and me to be okay with the fact that I am going to get the watered-down version of her thoughts as long as I know whose watered-down version of thoughts to get. Mm, yeah. um, that's the way the world, that's the way the church operates. Uh, we don't all have to be the academic who can read this book, but we can all benefit from the academic who wrote this book. And those are very different to me. Well, and I mean, it's it's the same experience as going to seminary, quite honestly, in that I am not on, you know, Haley Gorenson Jacobs level. I'm I can't write the book that she wrote. I can read the book that she wrote or I can watch her YouTube video. She is a greater expert in this area than me and she distilled it down even in a book form for me to consume or in a lecture form for, for people to consume. So that's just how it works and I feel like so there's a there's a saying about you know, the difference between going to seminary and getting your doctorate, um, in going to seminary, you know a little bit about a lot of things. And in getting your doctorate, you know a whole lot about a little thing. Um, <laughs> and and that's honestly the, just the way it works. So I, I feel like I've learned a whole lot, or I feel like I've learned a little about a whole lot. And she taught me a little about glory. And that was very helpful. That's awesome. So what's next? All right. I'm going to round out the uh, theology category here. Um, and I, I can't leave this category without mentioning Amos Young's Renewing Christian Theology. I, yes, I wondered if it would make the list. Oh, it absolutely makes the list. And not just because I'm talking to an AOG guy. 
Um, <laughs> Amos Young is unashamedly Assemblies of God. In fact, he uses the Assemblies of God doctrinal statement as his outline for his book. He just does it in reverse. And it was phenomenal. I just feel like sometimes here's another uh, picture of theology that I often look to. I often think of theology as dry and boring and just head in the clouds. Um, Amos Young was very, very thoughtful and smart, and there's no denying that he knows his stuff. But his theology has dynamism, it has movement, it has purpose, it has imagination, it has energy, and it spurs the church on to do the work of the church and to do it in, with intentionality and with life. So I, I appreciate that. That was theology with movement. And man, oh man, that was sorely, sorely needed. I just, I really appreciate the way in which he approaches theology, because I think the church will be better for it. That's awesome. I, I am very, very slowly working my way through this uh, whenever I have space in my life to do some heavy reading, because this is for sure some very, very smart stuff, and I love it, but it is not something that you can read a page or two at a time in five minutes here and five minutes there. You're right. There is clear movement in what he's saying, and he is stringing together an a conversation that continues to flow. And when I tried to read it in small bits, I, I lost track. Mm, sure. Yeah. All right. So I think, are we on a different category? Yeah. Let me switch. I'll, I'll just do a hard left here and we'll go all the way over to what I'm titling personal well-being and growth. And this is going to be far more on the accessible level than some of those big, heavy theology books. Um, some of these, I mean, two of these we've, you know, hit very hard on this podcast. And one of those is Managing Leadership Anxiety uh, by mm. Steve Cuss. That became a whole podcast episode in itself. Try Softer by Andy Kolber, which it seems like we can't get through an ent entire episode without mentioning that book. Um, so, And yet uh, I still haven't read it. I promise. It's on my must read list. Yeah. Um, uh, we're and, getting there. And it's, it's so, like I said, so accessible. Anybody can pick up this book and read it and benefit from it. And, uh, you know, I, I say even should. Like, this needs to be on everybody's list. Um, mm. And then, you know, two others in this category that were great. Eugene Peterson, of course, um, he wrote a book called Eat This Book. And uh, it was just about how to read the Bible, how to just consume the Bible, how to make the Bible the environment that you swim in. And it was so, so good. It was filled with not only good wisdom, but a good life experience. And you could tell that this is how he lived his life. And so this wasn't just some guy who put some good thoughts together. This is some guy who lived out some thoughts and wanted you to join him. So that was awesome. And then Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. Very, very well done. Mm. And that is a newer rendition of his thoughts that I have not actually read yet. Yes. I'm glad that you said that 
because I read his, I don't know, his other rendition. I don't even remember what the title of his earlier work was. And yeah, I, Emotionally Healthy Something. Yeah, exactly. I hated it. I, I honestly hated it. I thought, well, it doesn't matter what I thought. Uh, I just, I did not like it. And so when I had emotionally healthy spirituality assigned to me, I was like, oh my gosh, this Joker again. Um, <laughs> sorry to all, you know, to Peter Scazzaro, if he ever listens or to anybody who loves him. Um, I did change my mind. Uh, and that it, this book was just amazing. He really distilled down some of the pitfalls that we often experience in the church and the way that we kind of close ourselves off emotionally and not acknowledge the role of emotion in our spiritual walk. And wow, did he do a great job of identifying how normal people tend to live and how that hurts them. And therefore, in light of mm. the gospel, how we should re-engage with our emotions and re-engage with one another in an emotionally healthy way. He just, he did a phenomenal job and it totally revolutionized my opinion of Peter Scazzaro. That's awesome. And actually, so he's actually done three books. I was looking this up as you were talking because I want to make sure I get this right. I think the initial book, which I think we all loved the idea of and weren't completely sure about the book, was The Emotionally Healthy Leader as he was, he was kind of working himself it out. Then he wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is kind of the one I think you're describing, mm -hmm. which is really his argument for why emotional maturity and spiritual maturity have to go together. Yes. And then he wrote Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which was his, his sort of targeted argument about what are the key topics that need to be addressed in discipleship if it's going to follow the principles laid out in emotionally healthy spirituality. Mm. Um, I haven't read that yet. And that sounds great, especially as he continues to uh, yeah, pursue this. Uh, he's, he's clearly done some really, really good work. I, I would yeah. totally trust that third book. The reason I looked it up is because you started describing emotionally healthy spirituality. And I'm like, that's not what I think that book's about. So I have read most of emotionally healthy discipleship. And I have not, I did not know Emotionally Healthy Spirituality was a different book. Mm. So I need to go back and read that one because I think it's going to make the sort of philosophical argument behind the book that I actually read. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And you say philosophical argument, and I agree with you, but I also want to temper that with saying this is a book for everybody. This isn't a book for philosophers. Yeah. That's a, yes. Thank you. I, exactly. This is going to be a Bible study on why emotional health is valuable is perhaps another, perhaps equally inaccurate, but also equally accurate way to say what I'm trying to say. Yeah. All right. I'm feeling the pressure. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've only gotten through like a third of my list. Uh, <laughs> well, we've gotten through about two thirds of the amount of time we have. So pick your next section wisely. It may be your last. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, I'll do a church history section because in the spirit of books, you wouldn't necessarily pick up off the shelf. So I think one of them that makes the list you just finished, which was Phyllis Tickle's The Great Emergence. And mm, don't say too much about it. I have a thought about it later. Oh, um, 
Okay. No, I'm just kidding. My thought is actually from this book, but uh, go ahead and say whatever you were going to say, and I'm curious to see if you cover the same thing that I was going to say. Um, yeah, so I feel like this is risky right now, but so yeah, she just really overviews kind of these major patterns that exist over the centuries. And so she argues that about every 500 years, there is a dramatic shift in cultural values, uh, governance, the way the world tends to work. And it, it is wildly disruptive and disorienting to all involved. And everybody's seeking for the new normal, the new hook to hang their hat on and how the world's going to work. And it also results in a big theological shift and a church practice shift. And so the Reformation, for example, is the most recent of these back in 1500s. So the Reformation is our last big seismic shift. And now she argues we're going through yet another seismic shift. And in order to understand our present moment, we have to go back through and look at the patterns of these every 500-ish year cycles that we have been through and get our bearings on on our present moment that way. Really, really fascinating. Yeah, I, having just finished this book, found it to be extraordinary. She had some really profound insights to share. I will offer the caveat that I think this book was easier to engage with having read an overview of church history previously. Mm, Um, Sure. This felt like a follow-up lecture. Like, you know, you talk about a seminary experience. A seminary experience really is a book or a bunch of books that you read for class, and then the author doesn't outline the book for you. The author goes beyond just that to analysis and helps you learn how to analyze what you just read. And I felt like I was listening to somebody helping me learn how to analyze and see the big picture of church history that I might miss if I just read the book. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. That's very insightful. Um, A book that didn't make my list, but uh, easily could have was Bruce Shelley's masterful book, Church History in Plain Language. So if anybody's out there going, hmm, okay, I might need to read something before I read The Great Emergence, just read that. I mean, and it really is. It's church history in plain language. Anybody can pick up this book and get an overview of church history. It's it's really, really well done. All right, so my last two in the church history category are absolutely fascinating. The first was The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. And Rodney Stark is a sociologist who studies the rise and proliferation of religions. And he takes his knowledge of how religions tend to start and spread and applies it to the scant evidence we have from the first century in order to make sense of these various pieces of data that we have about the first century Christians and put them together with his sociological research and how this tends to unfold. And based on that, he gives a picture of how the church likely unfolded and why. What were the social 
forces that helped shape the church? What were the uh, spiritual distinctives that mattered to the first century audience? And how quickly did it spread? And could it have possibly spread as quickly as it is said to have spread? And really, really fascinating view into the first century through his eyes. And what was the name of that book? The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. And then my last one from the church history category is called The Next Christendom by Philip Jenkins. And it's kind of a funny book to think of in terms of church history, because it's actually forecasting the church's future. But it's it's pointing to the fact that Christianity is exploding in the majority world, um, or the, the three-fourths world. This is uh, the acknowledgement that populations are declining in the West, and the majority of people live in, you know, Asia, Africa, South America, and Christianity is exploding in these areas. And forecasting the fact that the next Christendom is probably going to be in a place like Lagos, that Christianity, the center of Christianity is moving to the global South. And we need to, we need to acknowledge these shifts and adjust accordingly. So that's a, it's a fascinating look at what Christianity looks like in those different cultural spaces. And how it's going to shape global Christianity over time. That's awesome. What a fascinating, that seems to be on some level related to the work that Phyllis Tickle was doing as well. Uh, Mm. Both kind of asking, where are we going? Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that they both go to church history to help answer that on some level. Yeah, 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 yeah. Looking, looking behind in order to be able to look ahead more intelligently. Man, that's amazing. I am, I am taking a lot of notes here. And again, this is another book, by the way, that I had two books that the author wrote confused and kind of conflated into one book. So Jenkins has written two books, The Next Christendom, The Coming of Global Christianity, and then... He also wrote The Lost History of Christianity, The Thousand-Year Golden Age of the Church and How It Died, which is a book on the medieval church. Mm. And both of them focus on Christianity not in the West. And I actually kind of had them stuck in my head as the same book, uh, which is silly because clearly they're not. But Uh, uh, nevertheless, that was what was going on in my head. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, I feel like for the sake of time, I at least want to mention some of these others. I feel like if I don't, I've mentioned two of my kids on the podcast and I haven't mentioned the third and they're going to get you know their feelings hurt or something. Like I just Aww. feel like I'm leaving orphans out there if I don't uh, if I don't just like run through at least a couple of these. All right, fire away. Okay, in no particular order. In no particular order. So uh, Church Life, we did a whole episode on Why Church, and so uh, Why Church Matters by Jonathan Wilson and Deep and Wide by Andy Stanley. Those were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, Bible stuff, I have two books by David De Silva. his introduction to the New Testament. Again, and not a book that you would expect to make the list, but 
if you want to just understand the New Testament better and it has beautiful pictures and, and just really uh, good content, yeah, David De Silva's An Introduction to the New Testament. He also wrote probably my favorite commentary ever. It's on the book of Hebrews and it was Perseverance in Gratitude. And uh, wow, I understand the book of Hebrews so much better through his lens. So pick that up. My class on Romans, I could talk endlessly about Romans as a result of this class. Uh, But the number one book from that was When in Romans by Beverly Gaventa. Very, very short book, but really insightful. The last chapter or her conclusion section, she gets very close to universalism. Actually, she pretty much espouses universalism. So, you know, you might throw that part out, but the rest of it is phenomenal. And uh, preaching, communicating for a change. And if anybody wants to become a preacher out there, uh, Andy Stanley's communicating for a change is phenomenal. And the last two here in my miscellaneous category, Love Your God with All Your Mind by J.P. Moreland. And Hmm. a really fascinating book, Stewards of Eden, What Scripture Says About the Environment and Why It Matters by Sandra Richter. And that was superb. And it makes me want to take care of the earth far better for the glory of God than I've ever known in my life. So yeah, Stewards of Eden was wonderful and again, very, very accessible. Okay. This is awesome. Can I throw one thought in there about Sandra Richter? Oh yeah. This is getting ahead of ourselves, but this summer we're going to be doing this whole focus on the Psalms and really digging into the Psalms. And I am going to be listening to, as part of my engagement with the Psalms, I'm going to be listening to a set of audio studies, kind of an audio class on the Psalms, and it's by Sandra Richter. Oh. She is amazing. Wow. I might have to join you in that. Where did you get that? It's on Audible. I, it was free through my library on Hoopla. So it's, it's available all over the place. Oh, fantastic. I would love to hear from her on the Psalms. Uh, really, honestly, I'd love to hear from her on anything. So. <laughs> right? <laughs> that is, I was introduced to her through the Theology on the Raw podcast and an episode that she was on, and she blew my mind both in the depth of what she was explaining and the way she illuminated scripture and in her communication ability as well. Like she is both an amazing communicator and just an incredible, incredible theologian. And so I am super excited. I've listened to the first episode of it already, and I already have like 15 new thoughts. That's cool. That's really, really good. Well, thank you so much. I know that I was laughing earlier when we were getting ready to start this conversation. You asked if you could call me back because you had a little bit more prep work to do. And uh, when we got off the phone, I was sitting there thinking, man, I feel like I'm doing something wrong because I don't have like any prep work. Oh, that's right. This episode, I have nothing to say because (laughs) this is like, you did a lot of extra prep work to have this conversation. Uh, And thank you a lot for being willing to do that because I think not everybody is going to get to go to seminary, but anybody can pick up this list of books and benefit 
from diving in somewhere where their interest attracts them. Right, right. Well, and it's it's funny because I, the prep work I was doing, we didn't actually get to on the episode. I had finished uh, all that. Um, there was a whole nother category of books. Because I think one of the ways that you phrased this to me as we were prepping for this episode was, I want to read like a seminarian. And when you said that, I thought to myself, well, I want to read like a seminarian. <laughs> and there are a whole host of books that I like. I feel ashamed to admit I have not even read. Like just I'm finishing up my seminary degree and I'm looking at some of these book titles and going, oh my gosh, how how can I possibly have gotten through seminary and not read that book? Or that book came up in like five different classes. Clearly I need to read it and it was never assigned. So I got to get to this someday. And so there's a whole host of books that are on my list that help me to continue to read like a seminarian. And so like, I would love to get through, or I'll just send you those. I mean, because there's a whole, there's well, a bunch more. At some point in the future, I would love to have a conversation because I have this list as well. Uh, you know, you know that I have a category of best books I've never read. And I would love to have a best books I've never read conversation. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to turn to the audience and say, uh, once again, all of these books are going to be in the show notes and uh, we will publish all of these books in, in some sort of list on social media as well. I'll even include the books I still need to read. So it'll be a special a special feature for those of you that follow us on social media. You can get that list as well. And we would love to hear from you. Uh, what books have influenced you? What books do you think we need to read? I would love to continue to curate this list. So uh, you can follow us on social media, on uh, Facebook, on Instagram. Just look for On the Phone with Josh and come join the conversation and come join the reading party. Yeah, I'm excited. I love that phrase, come join the reading party. That's it exactly. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of the reading party, I read The Great Emergence and had some thoughts about it. And now you have read The Great Emergence and you've already teased out the fact that there's going to be some thoughts about it. So now I got to hear it. You know, I have a ton of thoughts from this book, but the one that hit hardest for me was Tickle suggests that in each of these moments of transition that happen every 500 years, that one of the big questions that is asked is, where is authority found? And so, for example, prior to the Reformation, authority was found in the popes, and the transition brought authority to the Bible, uh, kind of memorialized in the phrase sola scriptura. And then she asks the question, so in the transition we're in right now, where is authority going to be found? What are we shifting to? And her answer was deeply disturbing, but I think profoundly accurate. She said, we are crowdsourcing truth. Hmm. And... I think what she really means when I was, I was sharing this with my 15-year-old son as we were driving to Ninja the other day, and I said, 
She said, and his answer was, whoever's loudest. Oh. And I think he hit the nail on the head about what she's really trying to say. There are a million voices out there, and whoever is talking loudest gets the attention. It's sort of the Wikipedia approach to what is truth. It's open source, and everybody can edit it. And so whoever edits it with the most confidence and the loudest voice and the biggest font wins. Hmm. Uh, If you can get the most followers on social media, if you can get the most views on YouTube, you automatically hit the top in the analytics and therefore people see it becomes this sort of snowball effect. And so it is this crowdsourced approach to what is true. And I think that this is true even in the church. More and more, I see people turning to what is the person on TikTok, the person on YouTube saying the Bible means, rather than going to the scholar who has devoted his or her life to understanding and meditating upon Scripture. It's just the person who gets the most views. And I I think that that is an interesting observation that at least my 15-year-old was able to guess based on his sort of spiritual, cultural, theological milieu as a high school kid. And I think that that's just fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Props to your son. Whoever's loudest, I think he just nailed it. Yep. I totally agree. But, uh, you know, I, I forced you to talk about all those books that you read in seminary. But what about right now? What have you been thinking about this week? Yeah, so my thought is kind of a simple one and maybe falls into the non-traditional category. You know, my wife and daughter were gone all last week in India, and I'm glad that they had a great time, but I missed them. And I mm. missed them both, but there is something unique about just missing my wife. She is a wonderful person, and I'm so glad that she helped to take our daughter overseas and expose her to this form of ministry that we both believe she's built to do. And she just did a wonderful job of exposing her and kind of letting it be our daughter's trip and just kind of staying in the background as much as she could so that our daughter could just kind of rise to the occasion. So she just did wonderful, wonderful things as she always does. But I missed her while she was gone. And when she came back, when they both came back, just the world felt right again. So I was really, really pleased to have them back. And that's my thought. I love my wife and my daughter and I appreciate them. I am so grateful that you are saying this because you said that this is sort of a simple thought, but I think it is both simple and profound at the same time. It feels profound to me. Yeah, there's something vital about developing a marriage in which you miss your spouse. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
It is a good thing. It's also kind of, uh, I don't know, I feel a little empty while she is gone. So it's it's not, uh, it is a good thing to miss her, but it also has its emotional consequences, right? Like, huh, I miss my wife. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it, it's a good thing, even though it feels like a cost in the moment, right? Mm, yeah, there you go. But... Well, once again, shifting from uh, what I think of as a very profound thought to a less profound thought, let's jump on in from there into the Witch Josh question, which I am just, I just love this week. This week's Witch Josh question is, which Josh named his cat Maher Shalal Hashbaz? Um, okay so this is me i just got to dive into this because uh we just had so much fun with this so if you want to look it up it's isaiah 8 3 that will introduce you to this really long name it came up in a bible trivia thing that we were doing i don't even remember where or in what context but Somehow or another, the, my my family of origin, we discovered that the longest word in the Bible was actually this name, Mahershalal Hashpaz. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but there you have it. Um, so yeah, God commands Isaiah to name this person Mahershalal Hashpaz. And so we, yeah, so when we had, we got a cat, I was like, okay, we got to name her Mahershalal Hashpaz. And uh, so we shortened it to Mahersh when we referred to her, but like literally her name was Mahershalal Hashbaz. And uh, Mahersh was quite a character. In fact, she was kind of, the only thing I remember about that cat is that she was perpetually in heat. I don't know what the deal was, but she just like got into heat early in life and it just seemed to never, ever stop. And so we had to like keep her in the house and not let her run out the door, even though she was very intent on doing so. Just meowing and pining for a lover all day long, and it was just awful. But anyway, Mahershala Hashpas, there you go. And it was it just makes me laugh that we we actually did that. That's awesome. What a brilliant, super weird one of those. <laughs> Well, and a cat is the perfect way to do this because a cat doesn't care what your name, what its name is. It's just or cares. about you at all. No, exactly, exactly. Just name it whatever. Yeah, that's hilarious. All right. Well, hey, are we on for next week? We absolutely are. I can't wait. All right. Well, I'll talk to you then. Okay. Bye. Bye. Yeah.